the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Jesse Gestand. He's the host of Way of Grace, a pastor and a community leader. He's a teacher and an inspiration. He's Lifeline's own Jesse Gestand. And I'm enjoying myself in the process as well, Welcome you, welcoming you to the Monday edition of Lifeline. So glad to be in the house with you on this February 26th. Very cool day. Rainy this morning, however, and um, over the last several days, we were reminded that we are not quite in the springtime, but that will be coming in a few weeks, um, maybe about three weeks, and we will be enjoying, again, some wonderful weather. Again, welcome to the Monday edition of Lifeline. I hope that you are well since the last time that we spake and that uh, you're moving forward in your walk with Christ. Good to have you with us, with us Jesse Gistand, the host of the Monday edition of Lifeline, uh, leading off at the plate before Mr. Craig Roberts, the inimitable Craig Roberts, takes over on uh, Tuesdays through Fridays. Uh, bringing to you on these um, Lifeline programs all sorts of subjects, topics, issues, and uh, and matters that are really, truly important to the Christian life. I, I really do enjoy the different guests and the different topics that we deal with, and I trust you do too. I actually enjoy the format that we hold on Mondays as uh, the Lord allows us the health and strength to do it, where we can kind of just get personal. That's kind of my format, um, just to get personal. Um, maybe one day I'll change it up and have more guests on more frequently. But I just kind of like to catch you driving home, uh, like right about now, 430. I don't care where you are in the Bay Area. Um, you are almost all together bumper to bumper. 880, 680, 580, doesn't matter. Highway 4, doesn't matter. 80, it just 24, 680. Uh, it doesn't matter. It's bumper to bumper right about now and uh and I'm glad to spur your thoughts on uh the number is one triple eight three six seven five three two nine one triple eight three six seven five three two nine to call me um if you've got something especially important to say over the last two weeks since we've been out. Um, I do. Um, we just started our rules of engagement uh, for marriage series this Saturday. It was great. A lot of new people came out, never met before. Um, and this year's theme has just been, um, I think, significant. Just the three of us, a play on just the two of us, if you guys remember last time. And we're, we, we dealt with opening up and addressing a number of our previous classes. And then I actually started dealing with uh, the whole issue of dating. Uh, and how important it is for our parents to know that uh, biblical dating has nothing to do with uh, emotional intimacy whatsoever. So that if your kids are dating, um, you really, you really do need to have some sound, sound rules, sound, sound rules, because that's a difficult area for parents. I know that ex experientially as well as just being a pastor dealing with parents all the time. In reality, I'll be honest with you, you don't find anything in the scriptures that gives you a format for dating. 
Not really. Not really. So why do we even establish and uh, tolerate and actually engage in it? It's fundamentally cultural. I, I have I have uh, defended it from the standpoint that the person that you want to marry, you do want to get to know, and so that there should be a set of preliminary rules by which that does occur. So I, I laid out some fundamentals, seven fundamentals for young people who are from the ages of 17 upward who really want to date safely if that's what they want to do in their dating with the objective of um, of getting to uh, know the opposite sex in a platonic, non-emotionally committed way. Because once you move into an emotionally committed way, you're moving towards engagement and marriage. And that really is a deep, deep, deep process that can distract a young person from a lot of things. But I'll tell you, the, the class was great. People were totally responsive to it. And you can get it online as well. Um, and then we moved into, began to move into the process of understanding the Genesis narrative for marriage, leaving, cleaving, and then becoming one. And we talked about the principles of that triad or trifecta, if you will, that that's what God not only um, purposed, but he prophesied should be the case. So that marriage is a witness and testimony of the grace of God in the lives of two who become one. And so much rich rich um, theology as well as um, uh, redemptive prescriptions in that. It is the real place of warfare. That's why people will come out to marriage conferences, because we know that uh, marriage is a war. It's an absolute war, a battle zone on uh, many, many levels. And and if you don't do it appropriately, you're going to have some huge problems. If if you don't really understand uh, the three of us and that third person being a critical layer in the marriage to dominate the marriage and lead the marriage as he had ordained and uh, and and created the marriage, then you're going to have problems. And uh, I'll tell you what I was doing as I'm preparing for next week's message, and that is study and uh, class, which is a two-hour class where the first hour is, is, is discussion, scriptural exposition on the topic, and then the second hour is more um, uh, inner dialogue and Q&As and things of that nature. And the class gets better and better every week, so I'm looking forward to it. This is Saturday, 3 to 5. You're welcome to join us. We're going to be talking about um, honoring each other in our speech. Um, there are three classes. Hopefully we don't have to go to a fourth one. Honoring each other in our speech, honoring each other in our service, honoring each other in our sexual intimacy, speech, service, sexual intimacy. And they're all integrated when we properly understand how it is that God brings two people together for the purpose of creating a harmony and unity uh, and family, which is really the witness that God is wanting to bear around the world in the Imago Day, committed to the two, Adam and Eve. Just profound, profound. So I'm looking forward to that. You guys can join us. If you think you missed out, you can just come on in. A lot of, a lot of good things taking place. But in my perusal of different material relative to uh, the text that I'm dealing with, which is um, Ephesians chapter 429 and then Proverbs 15, it's about our tongue and how we talk because it's... It's the ultimate indicator of our heart, as you know, as Christ said in Matthew twelve thirty four, out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. So if our heart is um, uh, in disarray, if our heart is um, 
filled with uh, bitterness and, and, and different corrupting components. And it is. It'll come out in our words. So if we're going to if we're going to shape our words in a way to be uh, edifying, encouraging, instructive and productive and fruitful uh, in the lives of our spouses mutually, then this is really about heart surgery. And that's what we're going to be dealing with this Saturday. Heart surgery in order that our words sound like the words of the Shunammite woman. Let me hear your voice because your voice is delightsome to me. I love it more than wine. And when we are able to enjoy each other's speech as a wife and as a husband, um, it just really means we've matured in Christ at the level of dialogue and understand that dialogue is a um, is a premise for intimacy. And you guys know that's the truth. And that's what we're going to be getting into, um, how it is that God entered into our life. He entered into our life. How? By the word. And entering into our life by the word, he began to speak to us, our mind, our heart, our soul. And that created a a, a, a context for intimacy. And that intimacy increased and abounded until there was a conversion. We call that union. And that union began the product of uh, regeneration and sanctification and conformity to Christ. It's all a consequence of the word. And that's what we want to deal with, how our words become actually the expression of of the spirit of God in our life so that we do bear forth fruits of righteousness, which are by Christ for us and for our families and for all who are watching. But there was something that happened today. And I got to talk to you about that. At least for this half hour, I can tell by my notes that it's going to take at least a half an hour. Just perusing through to build um, on my outline for uh, honoring each other in our speech, I ran across some comments by, um, well, you guys do know that Billy Graham, Dr. Billy Graham passed away here uh, last week or so, um, having lived a long, lengthy life. I was just amazed. I think it was like 97 or something like that, close to that. I always think if you... If you can get past 80, um, you know, you're biblically blessed. If you do 85, 90, 95, you are tremendously blessed, especially if it's in the Lord. And so um, thinking about Mr. Graham, and if you guys want to make some observations or comments about uh, Mr. Graham and his ministry, if, if it impacted you, you certainly may call. Um, I have some observations as well, but I really do want to talk about a person in his life that I did not even think about because this person played such a remarkable role behind the scenes of his life that um, I, I actually have learned years ago from my earlier days in biblical studies and biblical uh, history and understanding pastoral ministry and understanding the men that God had used throughout the years, the the very prominent men that you all have heard before, Knox, Calvin, Luther, and others, just so many persons, Spurgeon, uh, just so, so many, Jonathan Edwards, and on and on and on. Uh, most of those men were biblically qualified for leadership by being married, which is one of the uh, inalienable standards that we use in our own ministry. You've got to be married to be a pastor uh, and to, to, to guide a local church because it is family oriented in nature. But uh, the wife of Mr. Graham is a phenomenal, phenomenal woman, Mrs. Ruth Graham. And I would say this to uh, every young lady out there bearing children and being married, um, bless yourself. Bless yourself by um, 
uh, going online uh, and looking up uh, Billy Graham's wife, uh, Mrs. Ruth Graham, and 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 learn about her. Just learn about her. She uh, she's elderly now as well, but her story is absolutely phenomenal to me. And when I discovered and learned her background, where she came from, how she grew up, and how her and Billy Graham uh, met and married. It was just utterly inspiring. So my daughters, if you're listening, um, I, listen, go on and learn about Mrs. Graham. She had multiple children for Mr. Graham, and uh, she loved them and cared for them. They had significant troubles and trials because that's what life is about, and particularly when you are um, in, in such a useful place and prominent uh, public place as Mr. Graham was. Any of us, but especially you mothers, um, will learn a treasure trove of wisdom from Mrs. Billy Graham. So I'm really encouraging you. Please, please, please do it. And so I'm going to try to wet your whistle this um, first segment around an interview that her daughter had with her here recently. And if you find it online, um, you're going to you're going to know it because. Um, I think it's maybe a year ago or two at the most. And so she's up there in age as well, but as sharp as a wit, very clear thinking woman. Uh, and when you get a real sense of her background and context, her her practicality and her uh, it was unavoidable to hear how committed she was to biblical truth and how committed she was to the sovereignty of God, particularly in the context of raising her kids. It was just, just refreshing. She also was a poet. She wrote uh, poems and she wrote uh uh, just prose that were just phenomenal. So what I want to do is read one of her poems to you that actually had to do with how she asked God, and this segues into our rules of engagement, uh, especially for young couples who, young individuals, women who want to be married. This poem is for you, younger women who want to be married. Uh, Mrs. Uh, Graham wrote this poem. It was a prayer to God. And I want to share it with you. And then uh, then we're going to take a break. And then I'm going to come back and just actually go through the questions her daughter raised uh, to her at the time in which Mrs. Graham is up in age. She has multiple children, multiple grandchildren, and 10 great-grandkids. So, you know, she's already living in the full bastion of her quiver. And God has been extremely good to her. You will be blessed if you go online and listen to how she managed her life with her husband. And I'll share more of that with you as well. But listen to this poem about how she requested from God a man. She said, Dear God, I prayed all unafraid as we are inclined to do. A prayer of confidence for a man of clarity on the right kind of man. I do not need a handsome man, but let him be like you. I do not need one big and strong, nor yet, nor yet so very tall, nor need he be some genius or wealthy lord at all. But let his head be high, dear God, and let his eye be clear, his shoulders straight, whatever his state, whatever his earthly sphere, and let his face have character, a ruggedness of soul, and let his whole life show, dear God, a singleness of goal. Then when he comes, 
as he will come, with quiet eyes aglow, I'll understand that he's the man I prayed for long ago. Did you did you hear that? So this is a young woman before she's married. And when I when I say before she's married, I'm I was so impressed with where she was born and who her parents were and what she went through prior to even contemplating marriage. Because I can tell you she was she was already resolved never to marry. Isn't that amazing? Never to marry. And yet ends up marrying one of the most well-known men in the 20th century. I want to repeat the prayer, then we'll take a break. It says, Dear God, I prayed all unafraid, as we are inclined to do. A prayer of confidence for man. That's what it is. Clarity on the right kind of man. I do not need a handsome man, but let him be like you. I do not need one big and strong, nor yet so very tall nor need to be some genius or wealthy, Lord, not at all. But let his head be high, dear God, and let his eye be clear. His shoulders straight, whatever his state, whatever his earthly sphere. And let his face have character and ruggedness of soul. And let his whole life show, dear God, a singleness of goal. Then when he comes, as he will come. With quiet eyes aglow, I'll understand that he's the man I prayed for long ago. You see how clear she was on the kind of man she wanted? I mean, we could actually exegete each one of these lines and and see that she was extremely explicit about the kind of man she wanted and the kind of man she did not want. And you'll discover that was an amazing woman behind the prayer that led to Mr. Graham uh, coming into her life. This is the Monday edition of Lifeline. Your host, Jesse Gistan, one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. Believe me, much more after this. Stay with me, those of you who have daughters who want to be married and, and want to go about it the right way, love to talk with you and expand on that. Those of you who are married and uh, just launching into your marriage, um, stay tuned. There's just a lot to learn from Mrs. Graham about enduring and building and strengthening and, and persevering through life with a man who is very clear and single-minded in what he wants to do for God. This, again, is the Monday edition of Lifeline. I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline with Jesse Gistand. And I'm back as well. And I'm uh, pleased to be talking to you about Mrs. Uh, Ruth Graham, Billy Graham's wife, the late Billy Graham's wife. And um, just picking up on her character, her her persona, her wisdom. And uh, if you if you listen again, as I stated before the break to her conversation, you will hear such a steady, steady soul and that is so uncommon in this day, a steady, steady. So one of the questions that her daughter asked her was, um, how difficult is it being older? And in fact, it wasn't her daughter. It was another reporter who asked that question. And it was interesting how that reporter was asking questions that were definitely much more, you know, postmodern in nature, as if somehow she was going to get Mrs. Graham to buy into some of the sentiment that dominate our present culture around emotionalism and things of that nature. And Mrs. Graham was just so brilliant. She wasn't, you know, fighting against those questions. But the way she answered them was just super, super witty. 
one of the questions that was raised to her was, um, is it tough now being older? And maybe her daughter did ask that. Uh, is it tough now being older because Mrs. Graham had suffered from a bout of uh, uh, meningitis and it really did destabilize her a few years back and the doctors were worried about her surviving, but she came out through it okay? And one of the statements she made that was so apropos about being old, because you guys do know, and I've stated it before, if you're not careful when you get old, according to the word of God, if you're not careful, you will be bitter. Uh, Ecclesiastes makes that so abundantly clear and, and is clear in the evidence of the lives of people who don't know how to manage the collection of days and the the um, the accumulation of life experiences and be able to filter them through God's purpose and, and, and providence in your life so that you come out better and not bitter. Um, the downline needs you. It definitely needs you, older people. It needs you something terrible today because our younger people are definitely amiss in terms of, of boundaries on a lot of levels. And so we need you. Um, I wish personally that her her interviews could be aired today on a larger public scale because they are just so filled with what Proverbs chapter 31 says. The law of kindness is in her mouth. Um and uh, and she can and she can communicate instructively younger women in a way that's effective. But what she said about being older was this. She says it is much more difficult growing old than being old. She said it is much more difficult growing up than being old. She says once you are settled in your seasoned years, you have so much more to look for in terms of eternity and the promises of God becoming more real and rich to you. And she was talking as if her old age was simply a packing of the bags to head to glory. There was not an ounce of regret or bitterness or um, a, a sense of um, um, just kind of melancholy. She was clear. I would much rather be old than be growing. And, and one of the things I said to us as we were working through our New Year's uh, resolution uh, resolve to be honorable this year, coming up out of uh, asking the Lord to increase our faith into maturity last year, I said, hey, it's it's. Uh, you know, growth um, is a radical principle. Um, growth is a radical principle. And the difficulty of growth is growing up. The difficulty of being grown <clears throat> is growing up. And I think you would agree with that. And now let me just share with you uh, some of Mrs. Ruth's, Mrs. Mrs. Um, um, Mrs. Graham's um, responses to her daughter and some of the other reporters' statements. She says one of the statements by her daughter is, "What what are, what is the most important qualities you would want to find in a mate?" Because Mrs. Graham got a bunch of granddaughters, and she said very plainly and succinctly, "Some of the most important qualities you want to find in a mate." is faith in Christ at the top of the list. Faith in Christ. She said also, uh, not just faith in Christ, but Christ's presence in the relationship between that man and that woman, a real sense of his presence, faith in Christ. And then faithfulness, the faithfulness of God 
to them. That was the thing she said, you know, when her and Billy ultimately married, the one thing that became evident in everything that was going on in their life is the presence of God and the faithfulness of God um, in their lives. That's what she would recommend. She said also that the man would have a sense of both kindness and humor, a sense of kindness and humor. In other words, he has to know how to handle life in a way that doesn't make him the atlas of the world. Uh, but but being a, a sober man of clear convictions, she says he needs to be kind and humorous. And I agree with both of those. Those are great virtues because kindness is a clarity that uh, that that we all are struggling and uh, we need to be dealt with um, in a sensitive way. Uh, but also humor. Just bring it on. Bring the humor on. It's a, it's an oil of grace when you do it do it right. And then she said, "Well, how, how would you instruct a young lady to prepare for marriage? How would you pre- how would you instruct young women to prepare for marriage?" Now, get this. This is what she says: the young woman that that wants to prepare for marriage, or even the young man, but certainly the young woman. She said, "That let that young woman get into the scriptures." And get into the scriptures for personal application. May the scriptures take on a a sort of catechismal and pedagogical uh, paraclete um, application in the life. Don't just read it to be reading it, she says. Read the scriptures so that you would engage God for real. And she says, start with the Proverbs, which is what she did. She, she, and then when I tell you her background, you're going to understand what I mean by that. And she said, here is the thing you need to know. Uh, if you're going to be a good wife, you need to know that a busy housewife has to pray on the, uh, on the hoof that is on the go. And she has to be constantly talking to the Lord. And therefore, she must know both the spoken word and the living word, which is the Lord Jesus. She says, in preparation for marriage, let that woman be already in the habit of reading scripture for personal application. Start with the Proverbs and then any other book, because once you become a housewife, and Mrs. Graham was just very clear on that calling. She she was very clear on that calling that when you decide to become a, a wife, you want to be the kind of wife that is at home, that is there and available for your husband. And she says, but you're going to be praying because you're, you're managing the home is a phenomenal task particularly when you start having children and you mothers out there with children, you know that, you know that she says, learn how to pray on the hoof and to do that, you have to be committed to the living word and the spoken word. One more thing before I take another break, the question was asked, um, how do you handle tough times? And they talked about several tough times that the Grams went through. You know, when you when you hear about or know a person who is famous or popular or what have you, uh, and you hear really only about, let's say, the external manifestations of their productivity or, or ministry, such as a pastor, uh, you never, ever hear about their struggles. But don't ever think that they don't have them. Every pastor, every pastor's wife 
has enormous struggles. And when you really learn some of the struggles that the Grams went through, which she was willing to talk about, like her 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 prodigal children, the children that, you know, left the faith and abandoned the gospel and left home and some of that still going on with them. She was able to show how a godly woman is able to give them to the Lord and trust the promises of God for them. Listen to this statement that was raised around tough times. What has carried you through tough times? Like the separation, long periods of separation during the time when uh, Billy Graham was traveling uh, or the difficulties of him being criticized because, you know, pastor, preacher, criticism. That's just the way that goes. She said she actually thanked God more especially for the tough times than for the easy times. That was the thing that was remarkable to me when she said it. She says, I am far more thankful for the tough times than the easy time. The Bible comes to life for you, and the person of the Lord Jesus Christ becomes more real in the tough times. In the tough times, Scripture comes to life when you have read it, when you have prayed it, when you have believed it, and the person of the Lord Jesus Christ appears more real to you in those struggles. What she is saying is, if you ask me anything about what's going on in my life with my family and my husband and all of that, I'm going to tell you how God has sanctified me through it. How glorious. So much more. I wish she was sitting in our auditorium with all of our women, just talking to them about how she has handled life. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. One more segment on this. I'm talking about uh, the late Billy Graham's wife. Ruth Graham and her wisdom and her willingness to talk about her life in a candid but such a clear, grounded, biblical way. Uh, Do all you can, ladies, to uh, read up on her and learn from her. Just draw from her well of grace. You younger women, you always want an upline that speaks into your soul who themselves have roots in the true and the living God. All right, I'm going to take a break. Three lines open, one We'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline with Jesse Gistan. And we are back. The time 540. I am spending this time talking to you about the late Billy Graham's wife, Ruth Graham, and her uh, candid open um, discussion with the world about how she fared and how she worked through. Um, it was at that time, I think it was about 56 years of marriage to, to Billy Graham. And again, um, as we begin to move into uh, the uh, second um, hour I'll be glad to talk to you about either one of them. Um, but here's another question that um, that was raised to her. What mistakes would you teach a young lady not to do? What would you what mistakes would you teach a young lady not to do? Help them avoid certain mistakes. And here's what she said. This is an interesting analogy she, she used. She said early on, I had learned to turn loose and to uh, to learn how to fall into the water when it gets rough. Now, what she was talking about was how that when she was younger, uh, she had learned how to water ski. And in water skiing, and this is a water skiing analogy that taught her how to how to deal with God, how to trust God when things get rough. When water skiing, you know, if the water gets rough and bumpy, if you try to hold on, you're going to be splashing all over the place and your 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 water skis are going to be all over the place. You're going to look bad and you can really, really get hurt. 
the water skiing instructor told her, uh, let go, just let go and let your skis uh, slow you down to a stop. And rather than you rolling and flipping and tumbling and, and just really messing up because you're holding on to the reins, controlling the event, let it go and trust God for that providential process and learn how to fall into his arms while he corrects and straightens out and deals with those tough times. Is that not a great piece of advice by way of analogy? Um, just let go. Let She said, let go of the reins real early because she said we have a tendency when things to get difficult, when things get difficult to hold on even tighter. That's a it's a it's an intuitive thing of control. And really what you have to do is let go, because she said in the context of letting go, you get to discover whether or not you really trust God. Mm. Mm. So good. So good. She was talking about times when, like, as I had stated before, her children start getting older and start showing evidences of not believing God, not believing the gospel, not trusting Christ and wanting to go after the world. She said she had learned how to deal with her children relative to that. Um, she said um, uh, early on, we learned that you train your children, teach them the word of God, catechize them, raise them up in the faith uh, up to the point where they become young teens. And once they become young teens, you don't keep catechizing them and talking Bible to them from the standpoint as if they did know they do know. Now you got to watch. Now you got to listen and now you got to pray. Now you got to watch, listen and pray. That's so good of an advice. I mean, you already taught them. It's not like they didn't get it in their head. She says, um, when they're older, the only thing you do is listen to them and help them work through difficult circumstances. Uh, that's what is meant by letting go, let go of the reins and uh, watch them <laughs> crash and then encourage them when they come up out of the crash. She said that she would, plead with God and that she would pray to God and that God would tell her, okay, now just wait. Cause, um, there were two principles she learned from God about raising her kids. She, she learned that God says you do the possible and I'll do the impossible. Your job is to do the possible. And my job is to do the impossible. She says her job was the possible, and it was her responsibility to be a homemaker, to work hard at home, to be there so that when they come home, you're there unless you have to work. And uh, she understood those difficulties that everybody didn't have the privilege of being home. But if you have the privilege of being home, you should be home and you should work hard at your job. That's your responsibility to run the home, to manage the home. That's Titus 2, as we teach. But she says, God said, let me do the impossible. And when the when the question was raised, what is the impossible? She said, conviction of sin. That's impossible for us. We can't convict anybody of sin. She said, hunger for God's word. That's impossible. You can't make people hungry for God's word. Uh, hungry for conversion. Uh, uh, conversion, she said. Conversion, she said. Conviction of sin, hunger for God, and conversion of the soul. That is God's work alone, not mom and not dad's. Isn't that good advice? It shows you how when you actually have done what God wants you to do, if you actually believe in the principle, just the three of us, which is what I you know, am teaching here in our marriage series every Saturday from three to five, then you're learning how to do marriage with God, not with God on the sideline watching you. He's smack dab in the middle, controlling and monitoring 
and refereeing and umpiring you and hubby. She would call their children's dad, daddy. She would say daddy this and daddy that to endure the kids, uh, endear the kids to their father. It's a great principle as well, as you guys would know. And so um, let me see here. Yeah, that's all that I'm going to say about that for now, because if you go online and look it up, you will be amazed. Now, who is Ruth Graham before she was Ruth Graham? Well, she was the child of missionaries in Tibet. Her father was the the leader of a medical hospital in Tibet, and her mother served as a missionary along with him. And Ruth was a uh, she was a missionary's child. And guess what? She said that she wanted to be a missionary for life when she was a young teen, and she uh, <clears throat> she had already committed herself to just do missionary work. She loved the Chinese people. She loved to see them converted because prior to conversion, they were very very dark people. Communism is a is just a horrible thing, so vacuous of the truth of God, she says. And so she felt very uh, endeared to them and was willing to to be there for life. Now, this is the kind of woman that ended up marrying Billy Graham. And you can just see how she uh, was able to aid and abet a man who spent a lot of time on the road. The, the things that you can learn from Mrs. Graham are phenomenal. I'm going to take another break. Then I'll take your phone calls. one 367 Two lines open. one 367 If you have any questions or comments about uh, Mr. Graham or Mrs. Graham, uh, I'd love to hear from you on this Monday edition of Lifeline. You are listening to Jesse Gistan, and this is the Monday edition of Lifeline, and we will be right back. And now back to Lifeline with Jesse Gistand. And we're back the time 550 on this Monday edition of Lifeline. Two lines open, one triple eight. Three six seven five three two nine. I'd love to hear from you what your thoughts are about uh, the late Mr. Uh, Billy Graham. How did he impact you if you ever were exposed to his ministry? And what you thought about uh, our conversation about Mrs. Graham and her wisdom uh, with living with her husband? one uh, is the number to reach me on this Monday edition of Lifeline. Let me go to line two and talk with Deborah in Oakland. Hi, Deb. Hi, Pastor Jesse. What's going on? What's your thoughts or comments? You stole my thunder. What's that? Uh, Mrs. Graham was right on the money, everything she said. Another thing you have to have is a sense of laughter. You have to be able to laugh at your own mistakes and laugh at other people's mistakes, not in in a derogatory way, but realizing that that's just part of being human. I agree. I agree. Yeah, I agree. I, I love the. I I, I agree. I, I love humor. <clears throat> I love laughing. I, I think it's a medicine, as the proverb says, and I think it's just the best way to deal with difficult. Diff, this difficult life means you you have to laugh. You have to laugh, don't you? Yes, Jesse. Because if we weren't able to laugh, we would not be able to bear up. I agree. Bear under, bear uh, up, or under, or above. The circumstances of our lives. Doesn't Mrs. Graham seem like she was a wonderful woman? I'm sure she was. I'm sorry that I didn't get to meet her personally. I would have loved to, but I will. That's exactly right. (laughs) That's exactly right. Well, listen, you keep laughing. I will. And I'll keep laughing with you. And Pastor Jesse, I tell your congregation that I appreciate all their prayers, all their love, all their support. 
every Tuesday. And and also pray that the uh, people in the congregation of the worldwide, you know, because we get the message through the the radio. That's right. That I appreciate everything my brothers and sisters are doing. Absolutely. Absolutely. We will. We will bless you, sis. Bless Bless you. you too. I love you. I love you, too. Yeah, yep. That's Sister Deb out there. You, she, she's, you can call her anytime you want to. You can visit her if you guys have the Ministry of Helps. <laughs> Only if you're helpful. You can call Grace and find out about Sister Deb if you want to be a blessing to her. She is. Um, she's laid up. She can't get out, so that she doesn't see people unless they come to her home. Um, so you guys, if you guys this year want to do more than just you know serve yourself, uh, call the uh, call the office one trip uh, one triple not one triple. Let's see, 510-886-9782. Grace Bible Church in Hayward will be glad to direct you if you want to be a blessing to our sister. And I I, I trust you do. I hope you do. Um, She needs your encouragement. Let's go to line one and talk talk with Arbus in Oakland. Arbus, are you there? Yes, I'm here. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for, um, you know, sharing um, Ruth Graham's her interview with us. I really appreciate that. Did that you? Was, it kindled my heart. I'm like over here trying not to cry. I'm like, oh, that is so beautiful. <laughs> yeah, if you get a chance, because I'm trying to get my sisters to um, to do this, because I didn't really do her justice. There were a lot of questions that were asked of her that were really good, and she was so... Uh, careful and wise and gracious. I mean, you could just tell she was mature. If you get a chance to go online, listen to the interviews. Give yourself two hours to watch the interviews. You know how on the YouTube they have these like fifteen minute clips and did another one, did another mm-hmm. one, did another one. You know anything about that? Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. good because yeah, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, in any event, I, def- <laughs> I definitely will. I'm gonna um, look her up because I I didn't even. You know, you kind of hear so much about Billy Graham, you kind of right. forget that there's another part to him. So yeah. uh, and it was, that and was it's, surprising. And it was, and it's a large part too, Arbus. That I said to myself, I was so glad that I bumped into it because I I did want to talk about Mr. Graham a bit tonight and honor him uh, for all that he was used to do and to just feel the calls if they wanted to talk about him because he he's an unavoidable um, stalwart in our generation. Uh, relative to to the to the ministry of the gospel, and so I, w- I was ready to engage it. But once I heard Ruth Graham, I said, "See, now this is really what my sisters need, and and uh, mm-hmm. it's just so very important to have an older woman's perspective on extremely difficult challenges in life." And it'll it'll be a blessing if you guys can watch it. So, what's your question or observation today? My observation is that um, I just wanted to um, make a mention about the um, the men's class that you did. It was called The Honor of the Pit. And I don't know why, but that topic just has stayed with me so much. Um, because I, I, when, I, when I listened to it, I was like, okay, wait a minute. He's talking about Joseph and he's talking to the men. I can't identify with that because I'm not, you know, a guy. But when I started listening to it, I was like, oh, my God, Lord, this is so good. Um, because, you know, sometimes you, in your life you're like, okay, Lord, what is going on? I don't understand what, what's going on in my life. And right. then when you, when you brought that analogy out that sometimes God places you in the pit, you know, but, you, you know, but that God is with you and that's your opportunity and his opportunity to commune with you, I just, it just really – really blessed my heart to hear that. And then it makes you like, okay, well, 
if I'm in this pit and God is here with me, like, okay, do I really want to come out of the pit? Agreed. Out of the pit? So I'm just, I just wanted to make mention about that. Right. Let me expand on that while we have a few minutes before this segment is out <clears throat> for those who are listening. So um, Sister Arbus does frequently what a lot of my sisters do at Grace, which I tell them really not to do, but, you know, they don't really pay <laughs> no attention to me. Uh, and <laughs> and that is they go online and they listen to the men's study that we do on Saturday nights. I tell them now, if you if you listen to me talking to the men on Saturday nights, just be careful about what I say, just because I'm talking to brothers, okay? So, uh, Pastor Jesse, did you say that? I'm talking to brothers. Anyhow, uh, we are going through this whole honor thing for this year, and so I'm, I'm helping my brothers get a focus on how God builds uh, honor in us, even in our difficulties. And so there are um, there are four steps that God took Joseph through before he he promoted him because honor is promotion. And the first step was to, um, after giving him the vision, put him in a pit. And then from the pit, he's in Potiphar's house. And from Potiphar's house, he's in prison. And from the prison, he goes to Pharaoh's house. Those are four P's. And the pit is what we talked about was that initial process of sanctification that God had to do in Joseph's life to get Joseph's attention so that Joseph could grow and affirm God's call in his life. And what we were talking about is how sometimes we deal with the pit in a wrong way and, and not understand that the pit sometimes, that confined area, that trap, that, that place where God isolates you to himself, you can't get out of that pit. Your circumstances won't let you out. You are bound by that pit. You try, you try, but you can't get out. And when you actually begin to see it as a pit, as did Joseph, you realize that you're not getting out of that pit until God brings you out of that pit. And so every day that you're in that pit, whatever that pit may be, we'll talk about application here in a second. The goal of the pit is to bring you into a consistent and growing communion with God. Because in a pit, the only other person that's really there with you is God. And so it gives you an opportunity to realize that God wants to commune with you. He wants to talk with you. He wants to hear from you. He wants to fellowship with you and teach you how to take those times of being in the pit as an opportunity of exclusive fellowship with God. And so Joseph was able to bear the pit and that pit became a, what we call a pit of uh, substitution and then ultimately a pit of deliverance because it transitioned him by virtue of him being sold into Egypt to the very state that God was going to promote him in. So sometimes our outward circumstances look bad and, uh, and pits can be all sorts of things. You can have a pit, of physical sickness, physical illness, which confines you. You can have a pit of emotional distress, such as depression is a pit. You can have a pit of relational conflict, such as in marriages. We often call our marriage a pit. And I remember one brother in our class during that time saying to me, Pastor, I, reading this text, what I discovered is that my marriage was a pit because that pit confined me to principles of marriage that forced me and kept me from doing things that I was used to doing when I was a single man. And I didn't get that until he said that, but that is indeed the way to look at confined spaces where you can't get out of it. That pit is narrow. That pit is deep. 
You can't jump out of it. You can't climb out of it. Somebody has to come get you out of it, and that's God. And when it's time for you to come out of that pit, God will bring you out of that pit. And what Miss Ruth Graham was saying about um, uh, troubles was this. She was saying that um, she learned more about God's word, and she saw more of the glory of Christ in times of trouble, which is a pit, than any other time in her life. That is a phenomenal perspective. That's the way God's going to use you. When you see your pit as a place of preparation, when you see your pit as a place of personal communion, a place of personal fellowship with God, and therefore a place of personal growth, because God moves us in directions in seasons. So that season in the pit is because God wants you to himself. And as soon as the heart settles down and go, okay, God, talk to me. And then you start talking to him. You're going to grow and mature and develop. And when you settle down, the next thing you know, you're going to transition from that pit to God's purpose in your life. There you go. A prophetic word. So, Arbus, you got a closing statement before I take a break? It's just just amazing to me, Pastor Jesse, because it's like in my me on, you know, talking to myself, it's like, okay. Lord, this is just seems so difficult, but how is it that like I feel like I'm drawing closer to you and I'm like, you know, it's a it's a good it's a good feeling. It's just weird. Like how can you be going through trouble but then be happy because you you're you're in the relationship with the Lord? It I, I just can't explain it. It's, I'm gonna share I'm gonna share it's like I'm going to share with you a word that I shared with our prayer group. And so I'm gonna share it with the world and I'm gonna share it with you, my sister and you know one of the sheep. I'm going to share it with you. I'm going to share this word with you, and it's going to make sense. I know it's going to make sense because, you know, you had many years where you had to take care of your mom and she was disabled, and that was a big servanthood status job that you did, and and you were great at it, and the saints were blessed by your love and devotion to your mother. That's just a whole nother story. Um, But here is what we learn, Arbus. The reason why it's a strange thing that Mrs. Uh, Ruth Graham could say, I learned more in the tough times than I ever did in the easy times. And the reason why the pit is a pit of honor is because there, even though there is heaviness of heart from the circumstance, there is happiness of heart because of the relationship that we have with Christ. So believers live with a heavy and happy heart. This is all true believers that are serious about growing in Christ. We are both heavy and happy at the same time, heavy and happy. And when you mature in Christ, you learn how to embrace heavy and happy. And it's because as you're learning on Sunday, we're not in glory yet. And so we're still passing through. And so enemies come and they accost us. And sometimes our own inward sinfulness sends us into captivity and bondage. But even there, God's word, his promise, his prophecy, his power, his principles are there to keep us so that um, we can bear up under the trial. As the word of God says, no temptation has come upon you that is not common to man, but that God will also make a way of escape that you may bear it. How do we bear it? With heavy hearts and happy hearts. That's a maturing believer. Happy, heavy, happy hearts. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Jesse. All right. I'll talk to you later. Blessings. Got to take a break. All the lines are open. All of them. one 367 Give me a call. Let's talk. I'll be right back. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.